Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We are your hosts, James and Anthony. Today's episode will be on Netflix's The Gray Man. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. We're happy to be here reviewing The Gray Man for y'all. The latest film from Netflix. It's a Netflix original production, and it stars Chris Evans and Armis, Ryan Gosling, a very stellar cast that also includes Billy Bob Thornton and Billy Bob, Billy Bob Thornton, as well as we have Jessica, Jessica Henwick, Hen- Jessica Henwick mm-hmm. Danush, Alfred Woodard, and... Uh, Rage Gene Page, yeah, the yeah. guy, the guy from Bridgerton, yeah, the, the guy that everyone's in love with from yeah. Bridgerton, very good looking guy. <laughs> He's I, also I in the in the in the running for Bond, yeah. So yeah. I, I can see, it. but it was the first time I'd really seen him in anything because I've never watched Bridgerton, but yeah. in terms of a big movie, but he's a very good actor. I've seen some of Bridgerton. I was very excited about this movie because it was starring Ryan Gosling is in a big action movie. I was very yeah. excited about that. We love Gosling so much. And then Chris Evans taking another villainous role post Captain America, which seems to be. A great fit for him. I loved his baddie in this Lloyd. And then Anna de Armas in another action role where, you know, everyone loved her so much in No Time to Die. But a lot of people were like, I wish she was in more of it because she was perfect in that scene and did the action really well. And she's here in an action-heavy role, so good for her. I think that's going to set her up in the future for, like, solo action spy th- movies for sure for her. And Netflix has already greenlit a spin-off and a sequel to this. So they're building the Gray Man universe. The universe. I'm and sure hopefully, we'll get... hopefully we get a Gray Man Origins. Gentry Origins. <laughs> Where did Sierra 6 come from? And it, it is great just to see two uh, of the most, like a couple of the most beloved actors, Hemsworth and Evan. I mean, <laughs> Gosling and Evans going at it, uh, brawling out. They have a lot of chemistry on, on camera, especially the finale when they, they fought in that water fountain, uh, which reminded me of like no Goblet of Fire. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> the maze, center of the maze, uh, and it was it was obviously the reviews aren't very good for this. So IMDb it is yeah. a six point six, and then Rotten Tomatoes it is a forty seven percent critically. Letterbox is a two point eight, and Metacritic is a fifty one percent. So kind of basically mediocre average scores for for Luke an action Warm. movie. Yeah. Lukewarm response, and I mean that's kind of what I was expecting. I I was walking into this movie without high expectations. I just wanted, like, you know, dumb, fun action movie. And that's mostly what we got. You know, big set pieces, a lot of a lot of fighting, <laughs> Gosling just shooting people. Sometimes that's all you really want. I, like, I was telling people that I really like The Terminalist because sometimes, you know, Chris Chris Pratt killing bad guys is just what the doctor ordered. You know, it's just sometimes it's what you want. You don't watch a movie like this for uh, the best dialogue in the world or the best screenplay in the world. And, you know, it's like... The filmmakers, the Russo brothers, they did a good job with balancing action, some good comedy, uh, interesting performances from the actors, and all in all, in a, a big ensemble cast that they pulled together pretty well. And you know, a new property that we'd never heard of. So it follows Six, a highly skilled assassin in the deep cover Sierra program for the CIA, is the agency's best merchant of death. However, a mission goes bad, and now Six is on the run from the CIA with sociopathic former agent Lloyd Hansen hot on his trail aided by agent Danny Miranda and handler Donald Fitzroy. Six must be his most ruthless to avoid Hanson, who will stop at nothing to bring Six down. This movie had a budget of $200 million, and we're in that era where a lot of these platforms, specifically with Netflix, they don't have to worry about box office return. They don't They, they don't even re- have to worry about reviews. They barely released yeah. this in theaters. I think it made $306,000 in the limited release it had, so they don't really care about box office here. Yeah. 
But however, you know, after I saw it, I it was probably the, the best decision. I would have liked to see it in theaters, but it seems like I don't know if this movie even would have pulled a hundred thousand, a hundred million dollars if it got released in box office domestically for sure because of you know the the lukewarm response it had to people. And so, I, but there are some things that I, you know, were hit or miss for me with this movie. I was a little confused with the concept of the character, the gray man mm-hmm. and Gentry, you know, the gray man, the whole concept of being invisible and untraceable. It seems like Gentry, you could find this guy pretty easily <laughs> wherever the explosions are happening. It's, it's like you were looking for someone like the Jackal, Bruce Willis's character. Yeah, or Bourne. Yeah, or Bourne. Yeah. Bourne's invisible. Bourne's, Bourne's very hard for people to find. And in yeah. Gentry's origins, we learn... Or early on in the opening of the film, he has the meeting with uh, his handler, played by Billy Bob Thornton. And I was expecting Gentry from the trailers and from the scene in the beginning of it to be like a former like operative, operative or special, special ops, ops, something jinx. like that. But I guess he's just a normal guy in the movie who had uh, who was abused by his father and then ended up killing his father to protect his his brother. But I, I was expecting them to have some kind of special ops background or something like that. But he just got plucked out of the prison cell because he killed a bad guy. And I was like... That, I thought yeah, I found that training. Yeah, I found that to be a little odd to start the character off because when they're in the prison cell talking, not prison cell, but interrogation room, I was like, oh, is he like a former special ops guy who killed someone he shouldn't have and now he's in prison? Yeah, it's like it didn't quite make sense for the CIA to recruit just a guy who killed his dad when he was a teenager. So I found that a little an odd jumping off point. Maybe we wouldn't even need that scene at all. Yeah, maybe just have him be a uh, six already. So, yeah. but in the book. Gentry trained with tactical officers on a daily basis as a boy at his father's SWAT school. He was instructing SWAT teams in close quarters battle techniques by the time he was 16. When he was 18, he fell in with a bad crowd in Miami, worked for a Colombian drug gang for a while, and was arrested in Key West for the shooting death of three Cuban drug dealers up in Fort Lauderdale. A CIA big shot who trained at Court's father's shoot house snatched the kid out of prison, sent him to work in a secret division with the operations directorate. Directorate. He worked covert ops around the world for a few years, black black bag jobs mostly until 9-11 when he was placed in the Special Activities Division, working in an agency, Irregular Rendition Task Force, officially known as Special Detachment of Gulf Sierra. It became affectionately known to those who few knew about it at all as the Goon Squad. So the book That sounds cool. Yeah, that would have been really cool. I I wonder why they changed it up. Maybe they just want to do it quicker or something. No, no, I think there's this thing going on with a lot of modern, like, Films, especially action films involving a character who kills people, is trying to make them as as filled with heart and empathy as possible. Um, we're seeing it a lot. Where like like this movie has like a assass- like all the assassins have like hearts of gold in this movie, and that kind of throws you off a little bit. Like every, like it's odd because yeah. they kill people for a living. Yeah, exactly. And so I think with Gentry, they're like, I don't want. Let's not make him a former criminal. Let's make him like someone who like was vengeful against and protected his brother to make him more empathizable for the audience but the thing is that that you don't have to do that to make an audience empathize with you jason Bourne is an assassin but what makes the audience pull with him is that he is now choosing not to kill and he's choosing not to be an assassin that's what really works for the character his actions and his decisions it doesn't matter we know he's killed lots of people especially innocent people in the past like we learn in born supremacy he killed an innocent woman the, the wife of that um official and so just because someone has a bad past doesn't mean we they can't change and the audience can't empathize with him later on. So I think they did that change to make the audience be like root for him, which I like actually the book summary better for his background. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That, but I mean, when we talk about yeah. Jason Bourne, we're talking about the original trilogy 
is the pinnacle of the action spy thriller. I don't yeah. think those will ever be topped. And I, I feel so lucky that we had that. Trilogy. We were growing up with it. You yeah. know, we, we're so lucky to have that been made because those are all three excellent films. The fourth one, you can say what you want, and then the born spinoff one. Like that yeah. didn't work out so well, but the original Born trilogy is the pinnacle. And I, the, every year that passes with all the new action movies that come out, I'm still so grateful that we have those, and we are gonna do an episode on them very soon. But this is basically a Jason Bourne movie in the Disney-owned MCU. Yeah, it's that's basically yeah, that's like what, what it, it feels would be like. like. Yeah. So, so it's made for a broad audience, and I think this was probably PG-13. I'm assuming definitely PG-13 because of yeah. all the killing that goes on in this yeah. movie. There's a lot of violence, not a ton of blood though, but yeah. there's a lot of killing, a lot of violence, lots of explosions. I think the character of Sierra Six is really cool, and Gosling obviously brings cool to every role he ever does. Even um, <laughs> we wore the uh, the Adidas pants yeah. in celebration. He's a style guy. Yeah, so. <laughs> I guess this is style. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has the Adidas tracksuit. It's not Adidas. It's just like the gray man. Oh no! Bomber. Well, he has Adidas shoes. Okay, but yeah. so the bomber is like yeah. the bomber's cool. Yeah, you know, I saw in the trailer. You're right. I, it's not Adidas. I'm, yeah, my I'm guessing. Yeah, it's just a one red stripe down the sides. Yeah. I'm. I was assuming, or maybe figured they're going for like. Gosling is known for the bombers in the movies, especially uh-huh. the Scorpion Jacket and Driver is still iconic. I mean, I still pe- see people dressed up as that for Halloween every year, 13 years later after the film's released. So that's an iconic character and jacket. I feel like they're trying to do that with this one, but I, I don't really see it being like a big popular Halloween item like the Scorpion Jacket was. But I think it's still a very cool look for the character. It's a cool look, but the, I don't think the character is going to resonate like Driver did. It's that's uh, become a iconic character of the of the last couple of decades. So it'll be hard for Gosling to make another to pull off another character that people want to dress up as. Not in, even including this movie. I really like Chris Evans in this movie as Lloyd Hansen, the uh, the stash the trash stash. <laughs> trash stash assassin who used to work for the cia now works in the private sector because he's a psychopath and i I like the concept of him and like they have a great rivalry in the movie once they start learning of each other and basically sierra six after he takes out another sierra agent after he finds out who he is steals the intel that that sierra agent had which was going to take down the cia and he's on the run from the cia which is being controlled by very young people, like everyone at the CIA, yeah, works everyone's like 35 or younger, yeah. apparently. <laughs> but Carmichael is basically the head of the program of like the Treadstone program, you yeah. could say. And he's just an absolute villain, just out for himself and doesn't care about casualties or collateral damage with his missions. And is kind of just using the Sierra program as his own hit squad and he's taking out all the Sierra agents one at a time. So I, I think uh, he and Heinrich are, Henwick are excellent actors and she was excellent in Matrix Revolutions. Uh, oh, yeah, she was awesome. She was the best part of the movie, I yeah. think, as Bugs. And he had a huge breakout in Bridgerton, and he's gonna—he's beginning to launch a huge film career. He's going to be massive, very talented guy. But I just felt like they were very young for the positions of power they had in the CIA. And it, it, it threw me off having these very young people in charge of these areas. Like we, maybe if they were analysts um, working on the computers. and Or other Sierra or assassins. Yeah, yeah, exactly, or other, or other assassins. But uh, it did throw me off having such young people in such high positions of power for the secret, very important task force of assassins and uh, and just secret ops. So I was, every time we were back in the CIA, I was a little just like thrown off by how young they are. And also there wasn't really any work with the analysts and the analysts actually do so much work on in reality, like they're handling so much information and um, just giving so much information to the, pe- to the people uh, on site. And I liked how he was basically like, like overseeing it and calling it, calling the game essentially. 
I like that, but we didn't really get anything with the analysts actually working on gathering all the information, which the Bourne movies always did an excellent job of doing. You don't know any of those people's names, but you know it's a room full of people on computers who are handling a lot of what's going on. Yeah, and Brewer is basically constantly demeaned and talked down to by Carmichael, but she yeah. ends up getting an upper hand by the third act of the film. I like her uh, um, finale. The Her arc in the third act of the film was really cool. She ends up being corrupted yeah. by the power as well and gets uh, a measure of power herself to mm-hmm. get a foot up and get a state of equality in the firm where she's constantly been looked down on and seems to have a lower position until the end of the film when she finally has power to hold over the other guys. Yeah, and, and the action scenes are really good. It's, I love seeing Gosling in a big fighting action movie. We haven't really seen, He did some action in Blade Runner, but that Blade Runner's a different kind of movie. You could call it an action movie, kind of, but it's more sci-fi, like just a masterpiece and there is some fighting in that, but not like the opening scene's terrific. In the finale. Uh, in the finale. But this movie, he is just full on, flat out kicking ass. And it was really cool to see him in this, doing this kind of stuff, doing the international espionage stuff. A lot of fun. He, I think he really pulled it off. He looks good in this kind of role. Uh, few actors have the ability to pull up, both pull off, you know, I'm an Oscar caliber actor, but also a great leading action hero. So uh, Gosling's a special kind of talent. Also, Anna de Armas brings so much to every role she's in, and she's terrific as his uh, kind of like his ally. Although she's like takes control of him a few times, which is pretty funny. I like the line uh, after he jumps off the crashing train. He's like, "My ego's a little hurt. I'd like to save you for once." That was, that was a pretty good line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's some pretty good jokes yeah. in, the, in this movie. Not all of them hit for me, but you know, plenty of them did for me to have a good experience and yeah. laugh plenty of times during the movie. Uh, it was so cool to see. Julia Butters, who plays the young girl in Once Upon a Time oh, yeah, in Hollywood, yeah, yeah, yeah. she plays Claire, so she's obviously on the rise for sure. She's worked has scenes with Leonardo DiCaprio, and then she yeah. has scenes with Ryan Gosling a few years later, which is really incredible. Pretty wild, pretty wild. Super talented, so it's young. It's cool to see these young actors and actresses in these big movies, and you recognize their faces. It's awesome, and we'll be able to watch her have a tremendous career, I'm sure. And she plays Claire, who is the, Claire. the niece of um, Fitzroy, played by Billy Bob Thornton, who has been kidnapped and is being used as a pawn for blackmail to get Sierra Six close to Lloyd? So that this he is can where it's feeling out. like Mando, like Born meets Commando, kind of. Yeah. Although the flashback was like seventeen minutes. That was a long that, flashback. That's a long flashback. Yeah, I was like, man, how, how long is this flashback gonna be? <laughs> I think. Do you think? I do think it was a long movie for what was going on. It and, was pretty long. And the reason why it felt long is because there are a lot of scenes, a lot of small scenes, and then. When you when you've been through like forty scenes, you're like, hell, is is there much go, much left of this movie? And then there is still a lot more going on. So I think that having too many scenes can be a bit of a detriment to the runtime being so long. It's two hours and two yeah. minutes, but it felt longer. It did feel it, how long? Two hours? What? Two minutes? It, it felt, felt it felt like two and a half hours, honestly. And I think a lot I think of, it's because of the number of short scenes. Short scenes and also the different location jumps. I mean, yeah. I think there were probably. 40 to 50 locations. Yeah, lots of title cards. A ton of (laughs) Paris, New York, Italy. No, it's not Italy. Prague. (laughs) Like every three minutes. New city. Constituent. Chicago. (laughs) Home Depot. (laughs) Warrendale. That's that's where Massachusetts is. So it was all over the place with that. Um, But it's still still enjoyable. Production design was obviously stellar. The costuming was good. I think it was very good costuming. Although I will say sometimes they were just a little too like well dressed for assassins. (laughs) Just a little. The The opening scene. The suits were a little too tight. (laughs) I I like the opening scene with the fireworks and everything. That's a really interesting cool set piece. Never seen anything like that where you're shooting through two floors of glass to to assassinate somebody. We get to see his heart of gold during that situation. So that's well. actually so we we already have the heart of gold scene in the opening. So we didn't really need the flashback with the girl. Yeah, you know what I mean because the flashback with the girl 
and it's it, what it's there for is to establish this is relationship with the girl that he had uh, a friendly platonic relationship babysitter yeah babysitter Big but brother. also it informs him wanting to rescue her for the second half of the film so then we get that but we didn't really need it to be that long because we already understood from the opening scene that he actually he's an assassin but he has he does have rules and he, he will not kill anyone innocent and he will not kill a child obviously so that was a good opening scene to establish the character so we didn't really need to do dive too much more into his what his heart is like yeah the fight sequences were really long too which was great I love the fight between um, Anna de Armas and Danush. That was really yeah. cool. Just, and the three of them in the uh, in that room was yeah. a really good in fight. In the hospital scene. Yeah. Really cool. Great choreography. Um, lot, they, they effectively did like the shaky cam, but also a lot of motion effects during the fight sequences yeah. to to hide the choreography. But it worked well. I did like the um, the, the Russos have this, had this really great way of transitioning from location to location where instead of just doing like a static shot of like a building or a city and just establishing like this is where the next scene's taking place, they took a drone and would fly it through like buildings and streets, and then and then end on whatever final shot they want. So I thought it was, those are really cool transition shots that I hadn't seen before. Definitely so very inventive creative. for a big film like this. Yeah. And there's even a really cool one where the drone was flying and it was just it was behind Gosling running on top of the roof, I believe. Yeah. And then it took another wide shot. So they got really experimental with it and actually used it for like big shots with the actors in it. Yeah, I thought I think the drone footage went really well with this. It was very fun because to see. stuff like that can yeah. take a lot of time to coordinate. It's, it's a lot different than like setting up a shot with a tripod yeah. or a dolly or something. You have to coordinate the flying of this drone but they're yeah. they become so sophisticated i don't know if you've ever flown one before never it, it, like the really nice expensive ones i've seen like them a, yeah like a dji one or something like that they are legit they're, they're really really impressive yeah it's the future of filmmaking right there because they can they're basically can become steady cams they can't basically yeah. and soon they'll be so quiet enough they'll be able to just float Put it right next to a set yeah not right next to an actor right on right yeah. right in front of their face. right on them right next to the microphone yeah. too but uh, the action scenes were good. I think I do think there was a little too much of a, a heavy reliance on CGI, especially with that train sequence that felt it kind of took me out of it. And I feel like it should have been more exciting than it actually was, if you, if that makes sense. And by the time it was over, I was like, oh, that was that was cool. But if, it ended up becoming a little too fast and furiousy. And you know, there was a lot of bullets sprayed in this. A lot movie. of bullets. We yeah. all we love high bullet counts. They're a lot of fun. <laughs> However, they were just the scenes with them were so fast. Yeah, it was hard to completely digest what was going on. Like the big SWAT scene in the middle of the city when yeah. he was handcuffed to the bench. We have the SWAT versus the CIA operatives. I mean, not the CIA, but Lloyd's operatives. Lloyd's, yeah, the private security. And it, I wish they slowed that down and took that scene a little more calmly because it was like they showed up, SWAT team rolled up, boom, 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 boom. bullets yeah. being sprayed everywhere. It, it, I feel like it, it was a great opportunity for like a heat kind of shootout situation where take your time with it and, it and just draw it out. I think it could have been a lot better. It was still crazy and cool to see. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. And but in the action in this movie, I I do think there was a little too much of it and it did move too quickly. And so you know, a great action movie recently is something we've talked about before, is Fallout, and that's an example of. That great sequence, it's not a shootout, but the exchange, it's a 15-minute sequence. And all it is is just uh, stealing the prisoner and then getting away. And I think uh, an example of this, it could have been like a three-minute scene in another filmmaker's hands. But McQuarrie made it a 15, maybe even 20-minute sequence. And I think uh, Nolan's always great with his action sequences, making them very long and rolled out. And they're like their own little mini-movies. They have their ups and downs, and, and the audience is always like, slowly building anticipation for the next moment whereas this one it did feel like it was just like bam 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 couldn't really breathe and i feel like if they had rolled it out made it a little bit more intricate and longer it could have had a better impact for a big set piece and then uh, we have alfrey woodard as she's Margaret great Cahill's yeah. ex you've ex seen her in a couple different yeah. age sequences she's 
older and dying of we can what we can assume is lung cancer towards the end of the film from later on when she gets reunited with six when he comes ripping them butts he sent her the intel and everything like that um again i loved chris evans as lord he's so fun as a villain and, and he seems like he had a blast doing this the, the aesthetic was great with the trash stash pulls it off so well. great polos but overall, pretty fun time. I give this movie a six out of ten. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's solid for a, you know big budget Netflix film, and obviously they set this up for sequels, so we'll get the Sierra universe. I'm assuming. I'm sure Anna De Armas will probably get her own solo spinoff. I'm sure like Anna he, Origins, either a TV show or something, because she's so popular and she's killing it right now. And it'll be cool to see Ryan Gosling come back, maybe come up with a new story for the character as well, because he yeah. clearly saved her, and seems like he'll be. Raising, she'll um, be the next uh, Sierra. She'll be the yeah, she'll, Sierra Seven. Bring, put her into training. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Claire. But I also give this a, a six out of ten. You know, it was it was fun. It had its moments, and you know, it was it was entertaining throughout. So I give it a solid six for an action thriller. I mean, you know, it's kind of like turn your head off, popcorn flicks. So Have fun. Yeah, just relax and just just watch, watch a bunch of pretty faces. Yeah, blow stuff up. <laughs> pretty faces, dressed in great outfits, just kicking the shit out of each other. What, what uh, outfit do you like better for Gosling? The bomber with the red stripe or that gray jacket he's wearing after he gets the passport stuff done i go black bomber with the red stripes i think it's a cool look it's a really cool look yeah. i wish he was wearing it the whole time yeah me too it yeah would have been like a superhero outfit. But i like how gosling he'll throw his own style into a lot of his movies the so, shoes yeah, especially with the boots he has the, the brown he, shoes the beat up boots is like a, a fashion that he's had like he wears like super old beat up boots and no, those aren't but he wears the ones they're they're wider and they yeah. have like a white bottom yeah yeah, yeah. those ones he had on and these. so in the final scene when he when he picks her up and rescues rescues her He's wearing like a Ryan Gosling outfit. I loved it. I was like, that's a Gosling outfit. <laughs> He's got a great taste. <laughs> Love that guy. All right. Uh, that pretty much wraps our mini review of the Grammy. You got anything yeah. else to say? Anything yeah, so Roosters are doing pr- a pretty good job. Pretty, pretty good job. job. They've yeah. they've made some of the most successful movies yeah. of all no, time. No, I'm just going to say post-Marvel. <laughs> Post-Marvel, post-Marvel yeah. Obviously, they've made some of the best comic book movies in history. I think Infinity Wars are my top five. So yeah. they're they're really terrific filmmakers. And I think they're doing a pretty solid job of establishing their brand outside of Marvel. So congratulations yeah. to Netflix and ABGO Films and all the stars and filmmakers. And the Gray Man Universe. Gray Man Universe. Gray Man. Origins. 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 Let's get a Raider R one. That would be cool. That would be sick. Yeah. T- take care, everybody. Bye, y'all. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.